you were blessed by that. Amen. Let's stand and take our Bibles, please. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Again, your guest or visitor today, we're honored that you're here. Thank you for being a part of our service today. Members and regular attendees, thank you for being here as well. God bless you for being here today. Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to read two verses, get right into the, the message today. We've had a lot of music, and I want to move right along to get you out here on time. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Would you read this with me? Let's read it together. We'll read it clearly and distinctly together as a congregation, all together. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with justice and with judgment, justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Look at verse 6. Just one word embodies this whole passage I want to talk about today. And that word is wonderful. Isn't he wonderful, wonderful, wonderful? Isn't Jesus our Lord wonderful? My prayer this morning when we're done, all you can say about Jesus, isn't he just so wonderful? And we want to see the wonderfulness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as we approach Christmas this coming Tuesday. Father, bless our service now. In our preaching time, we've already been blessed by the music we've heard. Thank you for the choir. Thank you for Mrs. Medina, her song on Down From His Glory, our brass ensemble. Lord, as they, say, they, they played Go Tell on the Mountain and the, in the children's choir. My Lord, we've had so much wonderful music. And tonight I'm looking forward to many, many hymns, Christmas hymns we'll be singing tonight. But now, Lord, we come to where the, where the place that some preachers call the engine that runs the, runs the machine. And we're at the place now where the preaching of the Word of God gives magnification to you and exalts you. I'm thankful for people here today, some probably not feeling very well because of this being sickness time, and others, dear God, grieving in their hearts because of trials and difficulties. Some watching by live stream today because they, they're bodily, they couldn't be here. And uh, Lord, I know that some come today, this, this Christmas might, might be a difficult for some, and yet for many others, it'll be a wonderful time. Lord, I need you to minister to everyone here beyond what I can do. And I need you to minister, Lord, through your Holy Spirit so that our hearts are touched by your love and your goodness towards us. And I pray this morning that, uh, that the grace of God will lead to many coming to Christ as their Savior. And uh, we just pray in a special way. Help make today very, very special and preeminent in our hearts and lives. Well, thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This year, our church has been privileged. I don't remember now, but I think we've had about 11 or 12 babies born this year in a church, and that's a record. We've almost had one every month. If you're here on Wednesday night, sometimes when I talk about uh, praying for the expectant mothers, I'll say, well, we've got so-and-so expecting in October, and so-and-so expecting November, and so-and-so de expecting December. And I said, I'm looking for volunteers to take up January, February, March, April, May, June, and also for there, you know? And uh, we do that, and we've got one expecting for next year, and I'm praying we'll have many more children born, and that's just a wonderful thing in our church there. But I tell you what's great, you know, um, now with, with technology, you can tell the gender of the child real soon. And, uh, you know, back in the day, it used to be that uh, when, when the child, you wouldn't find out the child's gender until the actual birth. And you know how it would be. The dad would come out, of the, come out of the room. He's been with his wife. And he'd say something like this, it's a boy. And you say, okay. 
you know. And, but, you know, to them, they're very excited. They come out and say, it's a girl. And uh, they'd be very excited about that. And, you know, today, it, when you look at Isaiah 9, 6, look at those opening words. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. You know what God was saying to us in a way? He said, it's a boy. But the right boy. The boy that you've been waiting for. He's the son of God that's here. And today we're celebrating in Isaiah 9, 6, the son who is born. We're celebrating the birth of 2,000 years ago, the entrance into time of the Lord Jesus Christ. This was not an ordinary birth. This was an extraordinary birth. This was a supernatural birth. This was a virgin birth. Uh, and we look at this, and the prophet Isaiah, I, I can only imagine as he was penning this in Isaiah 7:14 and Isaiah 9:6 what was going through his heart and mind in anticipation, almost thinking in his heart, man, I want to be there when this child is born. I have never heard of, the, of this thing about a virgin birth, but man, I want to be a part of that. And this one verse, as we'll see this morning, gives you and me hope and happiness as we celebrate the real reason, the real purpose behind Christmas. And that is this, Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners like you and me. Charles Spurgeon said it so aptly about this, about the birth of Jesus Christ. He said this, as we think today of the birth of the Savior, let us aspire after a fresh birth of the Savior in our hearts, as he is, that as he is already formed in us the hope of glory, we may be renewed in the spirit of our minds, that we may go to the Bethlehem of our spiritual nativity and do our first works, enjoy our first loves, and feast with Jesus as we did in the holy, happy, heavenly days of our spouses. And what he's basically saying there, you know, the day that you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, he's saying, may there be, may there be a birthing in our heart, there, may there be a freshness to revisit uh, that, 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 those wonderful days, of, those early days of our salvation, just as it was a wonderful event when Jesus Jesus Christ was born. I want you to notice some things about this passage of Scripture because it's all about Jesus Christ. It's all about the child that is born and the son who was given. Notice number one this morning, Jesus is the gift. Jesus is the gift. Now, when people are still racing, you're still going to be like some of us. You're going to still get your presents tomorrow. You're going to try to pull all that together, and you're going to be wondering what the gift is. And some of you have your wish list, and you pretty much have an idea that your, your wish list will be accomplished. And some of you are not really sure what it's going to be. And then some of us will be surprised by what we're going to get. And some of us are just thankful to be with family. But there is that special gift that's going to be all about Christmas. And I'm going to tell you this morning today, the gift is Jesus Christ. The gift is Jesus Christ. Unto us a son is given. You know, this, when I look at this, Isaiah wrote this. If you look at the preceding five verses, he wrote to people that he called that were dwelling in darkness. Would you notice verses 1 and 2? He said, Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and after it did more grievously afflict her, afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. Israel, he was, Isaiah's prophecies, he was predicting because of their idolatries that God would have to chasten them or discipline them because of that. And he brought the great world empire, the Assyrians, into play. And as we read about it in verse 1, there is great darkness that encompassed the Lamb. And notice verse 2, it says, 
that the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. Have you ever felt like in your life you're walking in darkness? Have you ever felt like you're in a fog? Have you ever felt like, you know, just I'm not really sure what to do. I feel like I'm in a dark situation. I was telling uh, the, the uh, Cornerstone and Heirs Together class this morning. I, had the, I was kind of on the rotation. I had the privilege of teaching them this morning in our, in our adult growth groups. But I was telling about uh, an individual that my wife and I have been ministering to for the last three or four months here. who's going through a horrendous time in their life, a single parent. And, you know, the person just the other day called and just said, you know, I just feel like I'm in a dark place in my life. And I don't know if you felt that way, but when things are very difficult, you feel like in a dark place. And you notice in verse 2, he's talking about these people. They felt like they were in darkness, but now they've seen a great light. And, and Isaiah is describing the world condition of people who sat in darkness. You know, the answer for a world that's messed up in sin and darkness is not increased government spending. And the answer for a world that is messed up in sin and darkness is not shutting down the government. And the answer for a world that's messed up in sin and darkness is not printing more money or the Federal Reserve raising the interest rates. And the answer for a world that's messed up in sin and darkness is not treaties that nations sign then eventually break. And the answer for a world that's messed up in sin and darkness is about not nuclear treaties and nuclear armaments. And the answer for a world that's messed up in sin and darkness is not in tariffs or passing more laws or new elected officials. And by the way, I'm not saying any of those things are not good. They are good things that are needful for order and structure in our world. But that's not where the answer is. You know the answer is? The answer is Jesus Christ. The answer is God's Son, Jesus Christ, for your life and mine. He's the hope of glory. He's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so Isaiah gave a word of encouragement. If you can imagine, he's leading up to what he's going to say in verse 6 by talking about a world that's in darkness, political upheaval, kings that every king that was on the throne of Israel after Solomon, every one of those kings failed. There was not one good king in Israel. Now, Judah was an exception. The kingdom of Judah had many good, good kings, but the kingdom of, Ju of Israel had many failed kings, and their names are just, their names are infamous for their deeds. But Jesus Christ never fails. And he got to verse 6, and he says, listen, in spite of government failing us, in spite of darkness being over our lives, in spite of difficulty in our lives, in spite of death that's come, he says, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And Isaiah 9, 6, he's validating what he said in the previous two chapters in Isaiah 7, 14, when he said, A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, in Isaiah 7, 14, which we briefly touched on in a previous, uh, previous uh, a lesson about two weeks ago, Isaiah 7, 14 is the wonderful, fantastic awesome prophecy about the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. A virgin shall conceive. That is not, that is not possible. A virgin cannot conceive on her own. But a virgin, which he said, shall conceive and bring forth his son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. Now, Emmanuel is a special name. Emmanuel embodies who Jesus Christ is. Emmanuel means God with us. It embodies the fact that God would be part of our human race. And so, Isaiah here in Isaiah 9, 6 is reinforcing that. He's bringing that back up. Again, he's validating that. He's validating what Moses wrote in Genesis 3, 15, that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. And so this morning, we look at verse 6, and we see, first of all, Jesus is the gift. Would you notice this this morning? Jesus is God's gift to you and me. You might be thinking, what's God going to give me? He already gave it to you. He gave you Jesus. Amen. 
He gave you Jesus. Look in your Bibles this morning at the book of James in the New Testament. The book of James chapter 1 verse 17. If you don't have a Bible, look in your notes. I believe it's in your notes. And by the way, I just want to thank the Lord that for Brother Vaughn always preparing uh, the outlines so they're very user-friendly for us and, and the outlines so you can follow the message and go back to it. But in James 1.17, it tells us something special about God's gift. Don't miss this now. Look at James 1.17. In fact, I want you to read that with me so I know that you have it. James 1.17. Let's read together. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down for the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Now, we look at James 1.17, and it describes God's gift to you and me through Jesus Christ. Notice some things about this. Jesus is God's gift that is favorable. It's good. Hey, everything from God is good. Amen? It's good. Trials are good. Salvation's good. Marriage is good. Children are good sometimes, okay? Uh, It's good, amen? You know? Having money is good. Having no money? Having no money? It's good, okay? Having Christmas tree is good. Having no Christmas tree? It's a relief. No, it's good, amen, you know? It's good. Having friends is good. Sometimes being alone is good. God's gift to you and I is favorable. It's good. It's nothing bad about Jesus Christ. We talked about perceptions this morning. Isaiah 9, 6 gives you a right perception about Jesus Christ. He's God's favorable gift. Every, every good gift. But notice he's not only a good gift, he's favorable. Notice Jesus Christ is God's gift that is flawless. It's flawless. Now, I was going to ask every lady to shine her diamond, put her, her ring up and go like this. I said, I better not do that. They might get ripped off afterwards. Amen, you know. But look at James 1.17. Every good gift and perfect. 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 God's gift to you and me through Jesus Christ is flawless. Here's what Pilate said about him. I find no fault in him. You'll find no faults in Jesus Christ. He's the lily of the valley. He's the bright and morning star. He's the rose of Sharon. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul and your soul. Jesus Christ is God's gift who's favorable. He's God's gift that's flawless. Notice he's God's gift that's free. He's free. Now, whatever you have to give to somebody else, you know, you're thankful it's free, but, but they, they spent something within their reason. Okay, they spent something within their budget. They had a budget they gave. Hey, can I tell you, God gave his all. He gave it all. He gave it all. For the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. It's free. He's God's gift that's favorable. He's God's gift that's flawless. He's God's gift that's free. But look at verse 17 again. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from who? From who? God's gift to us, Jesus Christ is God's gift that is fatherly. You know, when your dad gives you something special, your dad does something for you, it's really special. And our Heavenly Father gave us something we can never, we can never outgive and give him back. He gave to us his only begotten son. Look, look what it says about God the Father. The good and perfect gifts from God, he's called the Father of lights. Why? Because we need to contrast God from Satan. 
God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. We have the Father that's shining and bright, and with whom is no verbiage, neither shadow of turning. Hey, he's not a dad that's going to flake out on you. God the Father is unchanging. It's a fatherly gift. Hey, you want to get encouraged this morning? Just meditate on James 1.17 on a God who's fatherly and loves you. He's not, he's not flaky. He's not going to flake out you in any, in any way there. I'm just saying this morning, Jesus Christ is God's gift to you and me. But notice something else. Jesus is God's unspeakable gift. Now, the unspeakable means that something words cannot describe. We don't have enough words in our English and, or any language vocabulary to describe Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9, 15, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. He says a gift beyond description. Jesus Christ is God's gift to you and me. Jesus Christ is God's unspeakable. But Jesus Christ is God's gift of love. Notice John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And you, if you go back two messages ago, I spent an entire sermon about John three sixteen and the love of God there, and you want to go back and visit. But I'm saying this morning, God's gift to you and me wasn't because we had to. You know, Christmas, we, we sometimes feel like I have to. God, God had to, but not because he had to. He had to because he loved us. This Friday, we had our adult growth groups meet here tonight. On, on Friday, it was a blessing to see all of our grow, adults here, a lot of our adults here on, having a, a time of rejoicing over food and, and so forth like that. And some had gift exchanges, and we had to tell them things like, you know, buy a $10 gift that you were going to give away and, and some things like that. And honestly, you know how these white elephant gift exchanges do? You go back to your closet, something somebody gave you 20 years ago, and it just gets recycled. You know how that goes, okay? And, th- and if you go find something, you go down to the 99 cent store, and you find the bar. I mean, 99 cents is already a bargain. When you find a bargain bargain 99 cents, it's got to be pretty bad, amen, you know? And you find something bargain bargain there, and you bring that out and give it there. I mean, that's what we do. We do that of fun. Hey, God didn't do that to us. By the way, God's not cheap, amen? Man, he loved us, and he gave his only begotten son to you and me. He's God's gift of love. He gave out a heart of love and gave out a heart of compassion, a love that that we can't even describe her. Jesus Christ is the gift. Notice number two. Would you look at verse six again? Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government, now there's 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 a solution for government right there, amen? The government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Number two, Jesus Christ is God. If I just told you one thing that's important this morning, it's just that one phrase. Jesus Christ is God. He's God. He's not a God. He is the only God. I was reading my devotions this morning, Isaiah 45, and I have to tell you, I went to the third heaven this morning. I was in Isaiah 45, God saying, I am the Lord God, and there is none else. He is none else. He's the only God. He was not man becoming God. He was God who became man. Would you notice, first of all, he is God incarnate. God incarnate. Incarnate means Jesus Christ became just like you and me without sin. I know I've said this so many times, but I love preaching about this. I want you to notice some verses that deal with the incarnation. You see, we looked at Isaiah 7.14. If you go back a couple chapters, in Isaiah 7.14, says his name should be called Emmanuel. Now, Emmanuel basically means God with us. God means, it means this, Emmanuel embodies Jesus as God incarnate. Emmanuel basically is the name that says that God would become just like us without sin. The old commentator, if you ever can get a hold of his stuff, he's got some really good things here. J.C. Ryle said this, the name Emmanuel 
takes in the whole mystery. Jesus is God with us. He had a nature like our own in all things, sin only accepted. But though Jesus was with us in human flesh and blood, he was at the same time very God. Consider John 1.14. And the word, Jesus Christ, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. You know the word dwelt is a good word? I was actually going to preach on this tonight because it's so good. But in the, in the book of uh, Revelation, chapter 21, it says, it talks about Jesus Christ, that the Son of God tabernacled with men. That's what the word dwelt means. He tabernacled with us. He dwelt with us. And the tabernacle is a great, great, great symbol there. You see, the, many, many believe that Jesus Christ was not born on December 25th, most likely around the time of the Feast of the Tabernacles, which coincides with, which would have been about the fall season, maybe about September or so, because in December, it's extremely cold up in the Judean hills, and Bethlehem is especially, and there would not be shepherds staying out with their flocks at night because it would be too, too deathly cold for them. But, they, but, it, it, but it would coincide with the Feast of Tabernacles if Jesus was born then. Again, we're not going to get debate and discussions on whether he was or not. That's not the significance. The significance is that he came. Amen? The significance is that he came. And the significance is this here, that as we look at that, the Bible says he was made flesh and he tabernacled or dwelt among us. And notice what they said here. Jesus Christ came and John was saying this as the writer. He's talking about the we being the apostles. We beheld, and he didn't say his body. They didn't say that. And he didn't say we beheld his person, though it's close to that. He said we beheld his glory. Because the idea of the tabernacle, if you go back to the Old Testament, was the glory of God coming on the tabernacle. We beheld his glory. Notice this, he, this embodies the, the deity of Jesus Christ. Full of grace and truth. That's a blessing, amen? amen. We beheld his glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. <laughs> Notice this. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman. Let's talk about the virgin birth. Made under the law. This speaking of the fact that he would be God's Passover lamb. To redeem them that were under the law. That we might receive the adoption of sons. 1 Timothy 3.16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. That's, that's, that's the incarnation. God was manifest in the flesh. God is a spirit. How can you see a spirit? You cannot. How can you touch a spirit? You cannot. But when God came, as Jesus, came in the embodiment of his son, Jesus Christ, he manifests himself in the flesh. He was flesh and blood like us, yet without sin. And so we read this, and it says, He was justified in the spirit. He was seen of the angels, preached unto the Gentiles, and believed on in the world, and received up into glory. As the Son of God, Jesus Christ is equal with God. He has all of the attributes of God. The Bible says in John chapter 1, and the, and, and the, the, talks about the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God. Philippians 2, 6 tells us, that Jesus Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. All throughout the Gospel of John, you stay with us through the series we've been preaching on nothing but the truth. We're going to see nothing but the deity of Christ. God the Father, God the Son are equal. He's eternal with God the Father. He has a beginning and an ending that's never any. He, he, does, he wasn't, he wasn't you know, he's from eternity past, eternity future. He's the eternal and infinite with God. He's the Son who's creator God. All things were made by him, and by him all things consist. The Bible says in Micah 5, 2, his going forth had been from old, from everlasting. He's called the son of righteousness with healing in his wings. He's called the holy child of God. 
He is sinless. He became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteous of God in him. He had no sin in him. He was a sinless Savior. That's why we had to have a virgin birth. He was God manifest in the flesh. He is the only son of whom it can be said. He was full of grace and truth. And marvel this, in Matthew 28, 18, Jesus Christ said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Hey, when we look at Jesus Christ, he, he, there was nothing missing. He was 100% man, 100% God, but he was without sin. He was embodied there full of grace and truth. As the son of God, he's God's son because he's perpetual, because he's eternal. As the son of God, we, we, we know he's the son of God because of his person. He's matchless. He's mighty and meticulous. We know that as the Son of God, he's all-powerful. We know as the Son of God, he's the Son of God because of his purpose. He came to earth to die for your sins and mine. Oh, as we look at Jesus as God, he is God incarnate. He was God manifest of flesh. But you notice something else? He's not only God incarnate, he's God incredible. Aren't you glad about that this morning? He's God who's incredible. And his name shall be called Wonderful. His name shall be called Wonderful. If all you did today is get on your knees and your face say, God, thank you that Jesus is wonderful. Thank you that he's wonderful in his death. And thank you he's wonderful in his resurrection. As we celebrate Christmas, he's wonderful in his birth. And he's wonderful in his name. And he's wonderful as he answers prayer. And he's wonderful in all the ways he reveals himself to you and me. Jesus Christ is God incredible. He's wonderful. He's awesome. He's excellent. He's perfect. He's incredible. He cannot be improved because he he is the benchmark for every faith. He's wonderful. He's wonderful in the salvation. He provides every sinner. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He's wonderful in the security he gives to everyone who places their faith and trust in him. Listen to what Jesus said. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hands. He's, he, he's wonderful in that. Once he saves us, we're always saved. Aren't you glad about that this morning? He's wonderful in the strength he provides you and me when we're inadequate and without strength. For the Bible says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. He's awesome. He's wonderful. He's wonderful in the forgiveness we receive when we confess our sins to him. The Bible says, but when we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's wonderful in that regard. He's wonderful in the comfort he provides us when you and I are grieving and hurting in our soul. He's the God of all comfort. He's the God of all hope. And he's the God of all peace. He's wonderful through the grace he gives us, which is sufficient for us when we go through times of suffering and difficulty. He says, my grace shall be sufficient for thee. And you know, when we sum it up, Jesus Christ is simply wonderful. Go with me through the gospels and, and walk with me through the gospel for just a minute as we do a panoramic view of people who are touched by Jesus Christ to the woman of Samaria that we saw last week. A woman who had five failed marriages and was living with a man that was not her husband. A woman who shunned society. A woman who was drawn from all of life. She had one thing to say. She said, come see a man which told me all the things whichever I did is not this the Christ one word describes what she said in her testimony to all those men and the women of the city of Sychar he's wonderful he's wonderful there's Mary Magdalene a woman that was plagued and possessed by demons she had several demons in her what a messed up situation and Jesus came into her life and took those demons out and everywhere you find Mary Magdalene she's bowing at Jesus and she's serving Jesus and she's weeping at Jesus there's nothing said from her mouth but her actions tell everything's in her heart one thing describes the heart of Mary Magdalene. She said, he's wonderful. He's wonderful for what he did to me. Think with me about the man. Brother Irwin touched on this yesterday in our so when he's uh, um, 
challenge yesterday. You think about the man who was there at Gadara, the city of Gadara, and he lived among the tombs. He lived where dead people were, and they chained him up. And this man was possessed by some very fierce and ferocious demons. But Jesus came into his life and set that man free. And the next description we have of this man, he's sitting and listening to Jesus' teaching. And the Bible describes the man's condition. He was sitting and in his right mind. He was in a place where he was clothed, and he was in his right mind. This man got his life together. One word describes this man going back to the city of Gadara and telling people about Jesus. He just said he's wonderful. I think about a man that was born blind. He's one of two men standing on the roadside of Jericho. His name was Bartimaeus. He was the son of Timaeus. And Bartimaeus was crying out. And somebody told him Jesus of Nazareth was coming by. And he cried out, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. And he kept on crying. And people told him. They said, Bartimaeus, you're being obnoxious. Bartimaeus, shut your mouth. Bartimaeus, you're too noisy. And he cried out even louder, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus stopped for that man. I mean, there's an entourage of people with Jesus going in them into the city of Jericho. Here's this man crying outside. He can't see him, but he can imagine what he looks like. And he asked this man, Bartimaeus, what will though that I should do unto thee, Bartimaeus? He said, oh, that I might have my sight. And Jesus touched this man. He opened his eyes, and the first person he saw was Jesus. And listen, that man, as he saw Jesus, I imagine him saying, I can see. I can see. I can see. And listen, when you get Jesus in your life, you can see for the first time in your life. You can see that God is glorious. And Jesus Jesus is wonderful. What words could this man Bartimaeus describe about Jesus? He's wonderful. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was a publican. Publicans were ruthless. They had no friends. Whatever you owed in taxes, they put a surcharge on that. And it would vary by person to person. They were, they were legalized extortioners, if I can say that. Jesus made his way to the town Zacchaeus was in. And I'll tell you, Zacchaeus had a lot of money. He had a lot of wealth. He had a lot of power. He had a lot of prestige. But deep down inside, he was the most miserable man in his town. The Bible says he was a man of little stature. He heard all the crowds were coming through. And he says, man, there's no way I can look over the crowds. He saw a sycamore tree, and he climbed up to the top of the sycamore tree, and he climbed his way, got there, and before, before Zacchaeus said something, Jesus stopped at that tree and looked at him. He said, Zacchaeus, come down, for today I must dwell at thy house. Zacchaeus came down, and Zacchaeus knew at that moment, Jesus invited him to come down, and Jesus said, today you must receive me. And Zacchaeus confessed his sins and came to Jesus to show the demonstration that he got saved. He said, Lord, I, he says, thank you for saving me, but he says, you know, I've, t- I've taken advantage of people, and I'm going to repay four times whatever I stole from people, whatever I took from people, I'm going to repay that four times. Now, he was being obedient to the Jewish law because he had committed some civil liability there. And he said, I will, I will, I, I have punitive, he said, I'll put the punitive action upon myself. I will pay four times over what I owe people. He wasn't content just repaying it. He said, I paid them four times over. That was a man that got honest for the first time in his life because he got Jesus' life. How would, how was the key to describe Jesus? Wonderful. Wonderful. There's a man that died on the cross next to Jesus. He's called a thief. We don't know his name. We get to heaven. We'll learn this man's name. And Lord, as Jesus was crucified, this man was blaspheming Jesus and called him all these terrible names. The Bible says he was railing upon him. Railing upon somebody means he's ripping all over Jesus. 
He's blaspheming the very name of Jesus. But listen, it got to the ninth hour of the day, three o'clock in the afternoon. That man knew his calendar. He knew him just in a couple hours. The Roman soldiers would come and they would break his legs so he couldn't support himself on the cross. And he would die of asphyxiation. The weight of his body would crush his lungs. And listen, as he was there gasping for breath, he said, Jesus, when thou art in thy kingdom, would you remember me? And Jesus said, he was saying, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I need to get saved. He said, is there any possibility I can be saved? And by the way, let me tell you, there's no sinner Jesus can't save. That man was hanging there guilty of crimes that he deserved to die for. He stole and golly knows what other heinous things that man did. And he said, when thou art in thy kingdom, would you remember me? He says, is there any hope I can get to heaven? And Jesus killed him. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And I just imagine that thief on the cross, the very last thing out of that man's mouth is wonderful. Wonderful. He's wonderful. He saved me. He's wonderful. He gave me him. And listen, when he opened his eyes in that king, the kingdom of God, he could say, wonderful. Peter, who restored back to fellowship, he could say one thing about Jesus, wonderful. Paul, who met him on the roadside of Damascus, a terrible persecutor of the Jews, he could say he's wonderful. Hey, listen this morning. Jesus Christ is wonderful. He's wonderful. But notice something else. Look at Isaiah 9, 6. He's wonderful as counselor. We live in a day and age, we... we Believe in going to getting expert advice. But can I tell you, nobody's going to give you better advice than Jesus. He, in Proverbs 8, 14, counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. That's Jesus talking about the wisdom he gives. Proverbs 19, 23, there are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. You know, I was telling you, you, you got a lot of thoughts in your heart. Well, I think I should do this. I should think you do that. There are many devices in a man's heart. You think you should do this. You should think you should do that. You know what? The Bible says in verse 21, nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that's what's going to stand. You better get good counsel from God. Amen. Isaiah 25, 1 says about Jesus Christ's counselor, O Lord, thou art my God. I will exalt thee. I will provide. I will praise thy name, for thou hast done wonderful things. Thy counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. Did you notice that? Thy counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. Hey, he's a trusted counselor. Listen to this this morning, some things. An earthly counselor must ask to know your need. Listen to this. The wonderful counselor we have in Jesus Christ, he knows your need before you ask. The earthly counselor, a counselor hopes he can help you. The wonderful counselor knows he can help you. The earthly counselor tries to give you an appointment. The wonderful counselor is always available. The earthly counselor charges a fee. Praise God, the wonderful counselor, he paid the price on the cross for you and me. Amen. He's our counselor. He's wonderful counselor. He's our counselor for our pathway. He's our counselor for our problems. He's our counselor when we have pain. He's our counselor when we feel lonely. He's our counselor when we're depressed. He's our counselor when we're, our world's upside down. He's our counselor when we feel hated. He's our counselor. Listen, he's wonderful counselor because you can trust him for the advice he'll give you. But notice something else. Look at verse 6 again. He's not only wonderful and wonderful as counselor, he's wonderful as mighty God. Notice Psalm 51, Psalms 50, verse 1. The mighty God, even the Lord, has spoken and has called the earth from the rising of the sun unto the going down thereof. Jeremiah 32, 18. The mighty God, even the Lord, has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun unto the going down thereof. Hey, thank God this morning we have a God who loves us and cares for us. He's mighty in answering our prayers. He's mighty in calming our storms. He's mighty in satisfying the hungry in our souls. He's mighty in overcoming our problems. He's mighty in help us to resist temptation. Hey, he's mighty to help you confront a difficult situation this Christmas. He's mighty. He's mighty and powerful. He's not weak and he's not anemic. He's not a God who has eyes that cannot see and hands that cannot touch and feet that cannot walk and a body that is inanimate. No, he's a real living mighty God. 
He's mighty working through us to accomplish his will. He's mighty. Notice today he's wonderful as mighty God. He's wonderful as counselor. But notice he's wonderful as everlasting father. That's a great thought there. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the, ever, the Everlasting Father. That just gives, just gives credence to Jesus Christ's deity, that He and the Father are one. And He's a Father that's everlasting. And He's a Father that's unchanging. And He brings us into that relationship when we come to Jesus Christ as Savior. Now, what does it mean? He is, he's, uh, he's wonderful as the Everlasting Father. Number one, He's approachable. He never pushes you away. He always takes you into his company there. He's never too busy for you, and, and he, he never has too many people around him. He's approachable. He is never ending. You know, it's a sad thing when our earthly fathers pass away, but we have a heavenly father through our Lord Jesus Christ who's never ending in his presence. He is, he is never late. He is our eternal helper. Hebrews 13, 5, 6, let your speech be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. And may you say, and, and say ye that the Lord is our helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. He's there to help you. He is all, he's never changing. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's all-knowing. He never slumbers, and he never sleeps. Hey, praise God. He's wonderful as our everlasting Father. Now, notice the next description, verse 6. He's wonderful as the Prince of Peace. Now, when you think about a prince, you think of government, you think of kingdoms, you think of someone who comes to reign, who sits on his throne. And the Bible describes it in the book of Revelation as the prince of the kings of all the earth. But Isaiah goes a step further in being very specific. He describes Jesus as being the prince of of peace. Now, he, that means he's the author of peace. He's the absolute of peace. He's the one that gives peace. Now, a lot of people are trying to find peace in so many things. Sometimes people say, I just want some peace and quiet. You know what I'm saying? And we may seek that, but we're only going to get it temporarily. Real peace is found in Jesus Christ. Notice what Jesus said in John 16, 33. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. Now, isn't that interesting? In me you might have peace. You're not going to find it in addictive drugs. You're not going to find it in smoking. You're not going to find it getting drunk. You're not going to find it in multiple relationships. You're not going to find it getting lost in your job. You're not going to find it by being involved in 25 different charities. No, he said, in me ye shall have peace. Listen, all these personalities have committed suicide this year. My heart goes out for these people that what they were saying through their action, they were just looking for peace, but they couldn't, have found, they couldn't find it. And notice Jesus told us here in John 16, 33, these things have I spoken unto you that you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. Tribulation means to be under the pressure of things. You're being crushed by the problems you're under. And he says, in the world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Brother and sister in Christ, real peace is found in Jesus only. Real peace is found in the one who's differentiated from the princes and kings who preceded him on the throne of Israel. He is the true prince of peace. Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. But I'm thankful my Jesus is the prince of peace. He's, he's Jesus, the God of all peace. He's Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. He is Shiloh, who we'll be speaking about tonight from Genesis 49.8, who is the essence of tranquility and peace. He is the bridge that enables every sinner who comes to him to have the peace with God. He's the peace that passes all understanding. Hey, is your heart filled with turmoil? Are you filled with tribulation? Is your world upside down? Are you filled with darkness? Are you anxious? Are you having sleepless night and worries? Can I tell you tonight, this morning, Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. He can conquer your fears. He can conquer your worries. He can conquer your anxieties. Come to him this morning and realize he's wonderful as the Prince of Peace. Oh, thank God this morning. 
morning. Jesus is the gift. And Jesus is God. He's God incarnate. And he's God incredible. As we close this morning, would you notice Jesus is to be gotten. Because if you leave today and don't have Jesus, you left a very expensive gift under the tree that still remains unopened. The best part of Christmas is not going to be the food, though it's going to be good. And the best part of Christmas is not going to be that favorite thing that you wanted to get so badly this year, though it's going to be good. The greatest thing about Christmas is getting Jesus this Christmas. First of all, you're saved. You ought to get closer to Jesus. You ought to get closer to the Lord. You ought to thank God as you open those presents and someone gives you something, just say, you know, thank the Lord. I got another year. I've got all these precious people around me. I've got a wonderful church that God's given me. I've got the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. You ought to be thankful for that as a saved person. But if you're not saved, you don't know the Lord is your Savior, this morning I want you to know Jesus is to be gotten. He wants you to receive him. He's to be taken. He doesn't cost you anything to receive his gift of eternal life. You don't have to climb 25 steps to get there. He can be gotten right where you're at. Listen to what the Bible says in John 1.12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. John 5, 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. What a great promise. What a great promise. You're passed from death to life. And then Romans 10, 9, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God is raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Jesus is God. Jesus is the gift. Jesus to be gotten. We exercise faith, first of all, by believing in our heart what we've heard. Now, here's, here's the challenge about having faith. We live in America, which has a strong emphasis on being an educated society. We have emphasis on facts, knowledge, information. And one of the challenges we have is, as people living here in America is we, 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 want to, we see something like this. Well, I need to know more. I need to read more. And, we, and I encourage you, you need to know more and read more. But can I tell you what? What you've heard today, you know enough to get to heaven. You know enough to get to heaven today. You know enough to get your sins forgiven and become a son of God. Because God is not going to penalize you until you've got to go to West Coast Baptist College and get a bachelor's degree in Bible before you can learn how about Jesus. You can get Jesus in your life right now. That's how simple it is. You see, the Bible says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Here's what God's doing. As you hear God's word, that he's, that he's the gift, that he's God, he needs to be gotten in your heart. Okay, here's what happened. God is stirring in your heart. He's creating inside your heart a desire. Faith is saying, you know, I'm starting to believe that. Yeah, I believe that. I believe Jesus is God. I believe Jesus is the everlasting Father. I believe Jesus is wonderful. I believe Jesus is Savior. I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe Jesus rose again from the dead. I believe those things. Hey, listen, you, you can say you believe that today. You know you need to be saved. You know enough today to get saved and to go to heaven. He can be gotten simply by faith. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God is raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Jesus is wonderful. I'm going to tell you a story this morning. I've told many times before at our pulpit. But we've got a lot of folks that are new to our church. You've probably never heard this story before. 
Many years ago in a Midwestern town, there's a family, mother and father, it's a Christian family, had a little boy about four years old. They started noticing he was getting exhausted very easily. And the little boy just would run out of energy and take a lot of naps, and they just noticed he wasn't looking good, and over time he started getting more pale, and sometimes he was just not feeling good in his upper torso, so they took him in to have a series of tests done. And of course, you parents, you know this, when your kids are going through something like that, and, and the doctor can't make an initial diagnosis, I mean, you get very concerned. I mean, I, my, my heart goes out. I get a lot of parents that text me during the week, say, Pastor, pray for my kid. They got 101 fever, and uh, a few weeks ago, one had 103, and they said, pray for my kid. And I, mean, I, I understand that. I mean, that's, that's very frightening. And, of course, his family's really concerned because they said his, there's something like that for many weeks here. And so they finally, they, they, they took him to a cardiologist. And a cardiologist that did some things, he said, you know, I think there's something wrong with your son. And we're, we don't like what we see in the EKG and things. And they said, listen, you need to go to the bigger city over here. And they told him the city, there is a, in our state, there's a, there's a very excellent cardiologist. He's been around a long time. You need to take your son and let him do a thorough examination. Well, they made the appointment. They finally got an appointment. Saw this cardiologist. And, you know, he's one of those specialists that he's got more people to see than he's got time. You understand what I'm saying? You know, he's one of those. He's so good at what he did. And this cardiologist was old. He was crusty. He had seen a lot in life. And all that in life kind of changed his, kind of morphed his personality. He was not a, you know, you'd say probably he was a doctor that didn't have very good bedside manners. You know, he just was, he was very blunt, very truthful. And sometimes it was a little hard for a patient to stomach what he had to tell them because he was very blunt. His family got there, and, they, and he did the series of tests and things like that. He spent a half a day just doing a bunch of things. And, and the mother and father are getting very anxious about what's going on. So finally, he gets the mother and father in, in, in his office there with the little boy. The boy's put, put his clothes back on. And he said, listen, I've examined your son very thoroughly. I've studied all the charts. Everything's going on here. Your son has a very, very serious heart defect. It's a serious heart defect. He said, it's so serious. I've got to go in, and I've got to do open-heart surgery on your little boy. And you can imagine the parents of a four or five-year-old. I mean, it's frightening enough for an adult, but for a four or five-year-old, that is very frightening. And so the parents are very frightened. And, and, and the doctor, again, he had very bad bedside manners and he's very crusty. He kind of looked at the little boy and said, now, son, I want to tell you something. He said, your heart's not doing very good. You've got some problems with your heart. And I'm a very skilled doctor, but he said, I'm not even sure I can help you. He says, I've got to cut open your chest, and I've got to open up your heart, and I've got to go inside, and I'm not sure what I'm going to find inside, and it may be very bad. And amazing, the little boy who just, just not maybe months before learned the story about Jesus dying for his sins and rising from the dead, had called on Jesus to be a Savior. The little boy just kind of, everything the doctor said didn't scare him, didn't phase him, and just with a smile on his face, a little innocent child, he says, doctor, that's okay. Go ahead and look inside my heart, because when you look inside my heart, you're going to find Jesus inside of my heart there. And so the doctor said, you got, what? What's going on here, you know? And so the doctor just was kind of taken back. He didn't know what to say. And so he just kind of got, you know, he's a crusty old guy. He says, okay, now you guys need to go home. I'm going to call you back and have you back for some more, some more tests. Well, over the next several weeks, they were doing several tests. And every time the boy came in, the doctor wanted to prepare this boy because he said, this is going to be a tough surgery. It's tougher on you than it is your parents. He said, now, little boy, second time he came in, he said, little boy, I'm going to tell you again. Your heart's all messed up. It's got a lot of problems inside. And he said, this doctor here is going to have to go in. I'm going to cut open your chest, and I'm going to go inside your heart. I don't know what I'm going to find inside your heart. And the little boy, again, he would just have a smile on his face like the brightness of the sun. He said, that's okay, doctor. You can go inside and cut my heart because you're going to find Jesus inside my heart, doctor. And the doctor was getting frustrated with him. And then it happened the third time. He did it again for the final test. And he said, that's okay, doctor, because when you look inside my heart, you're going to find Jesus inside my heart. This doctor said, there's nothing that faces this little boy there. Well, the day the surgery came. And you could feel the tension 
in the hospital quarters. The mother and father are very anxious. Now, they're God-fearing people. They had been praying, but they, you, they, they were very anxious, just like you would be and I would be. The doctor came, came to the side where the, ba- the boy was waiting with his parents before they would wheel him in. He said, son, I want to tell you one more time. Now, the, the, the doctor's countenance had changed a little bit because the, the boy just had the same response, and he was a little more tender with the boy. He said, son... Now, today, I'm gonna, this is the day of the surgery. And when I do the surgery, I'm going to make an incision. I'm going to pull back your chest cavity. I'm going to go inside your heart. I'm going to cut away. It's a very dangerous surgery, son. And I don't know what I'm going to find inside your heart. And the little boy, again, he wasn't being a joke or anything. He just said, doctor, I'm not afraid. Because when you go inside, you'll find Jesus inside my heart. They went to surgery went many hours when the doctor tells you be out a certain time but he doesn't come out and it goes longer you get concerned and it went on for a long time after many hours Dr. Finley came out as he came out his gloves were already off he had a surgical mask still over his face and as he saw the family there in the waiting room the parents he just pulled the surgical mask over the top of his head and they were very anxious because they looked on his, his facial expression they were thinking well I hope this is good he sat down next to them. He put his hands, his big burly hands, on both their hands. He said, sir, ma'am, I tried everything I could. I spent a long time with your son. I went inside, opened his heart up. It was too much for your son. I'm sorry to tell you, your son didn't make it. The mother and father were God-fearing Christians, saved people. They're, they're equal to some of our families in our church. They couldn't help but break down of weeping and grieving and tears. The doctor just held their hands. Normally he'd walk away, but he held their hands. And finally, after they kind of just settled in a little bit, the tears came and the crying and sobbing slowed down a little bit. The father took some Kleenex and wiped his face. The doctor's still holding his hand. He looked at him and said, hey, doc, I just have one question for you. When you open up little Johnny's heart, what did you find? The doctor had tears coming down his eyes. With a trembling lip, he looked at that man. He says, I found Jesus inside his heart. He didn't mean he literally found Jesus. That little boy's faith touched that man's heart. For the first time in his life, he realized he was a sinner who needed to get saved. The little boy, the Bible says the, the little children will lead them. The little child spoke to his heart about his need for the Savior. Can I tell you what today? Is Jesus in your heart? Jesus is to be gotten. I invite you this morning. This could be the greatest Christmas you'll ever have if you just call on Jesus to be your Savior. Let me tell you something this morning. Some people think, well, you want me to be a Christian because you want our money. We don't want your money. I want you to get saved. I want you, I want you to get Jesus in your heart. I want you to just realize the joy of knowing Christ as your Savior and receiving the gift of eternal life. He's the gift. He's God. He's begotten. Would you take him this morning? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.